Welcome to the Intelligent Living Podcast, where we discuss all things related to life. We have the entirety of the world's encyclopedias at our fingertips. There is more knowledge available to us now than in any time in human history. So why does it seem that the majority of people are not living intelligent and wise lives? Well, my name's Elliot. I'm the producer here at Intelligent Living, and our goal is to equip and empower you with the wisdom it takes to live life more abundantly. Weeks and weeks back, I started a message called The Battle of Nothing. But last week, I ended that particular one, and I basically said when, there's, <clears throat> I said, when there is nothing, God is up to something. And next week, I'm going to talk about same scriptures. Can you see the hand of God? Perception is everything. So this morning's message called Choose to Be Your Very Best in the Darkest Moment. Best means the highest quality, excellence, most advantage, uh, advantageous, suitable. So you think about it. <clears throat> Choose to be your best in the very darkest moment. You think about uh, people that have made their marks and that have changed the world are people, that obviously, that don't quit. Elon Musk was asked the question if he's thought, has he ever considered quitting? And he said, he said, I don't even consider it. He said, I don't, don't enter my, I said, the only way I would quit is if I was dead or if I was incapacitated and I couldn't do what I do. Sometimes he'd push himself to work 120 hours a week and just go and go and go. We're going to read a story that we've been reading about one man named Elijah, about one servant who's unnamed, and how this one man prays and something changes. But how one person, one life, one prayer can change an entire nation. And, but the way I got the idea was simple because it's a very dark moment in, the, in this nation. It's three and a half years of drought. It's a very dark moment. And in that dark moment, it's, it's not easy to be, when you're in your dark moment, we all know the challenge of trying to be our best in that dark moment. Because there's a side of us, maybe it isn't with you, there's a side of us that says just quit, forget it. It doesn't make a difference. It's not worth it all. But there's the other side of it that says, no, I know I can't quit. Too many people depend on me. And, and there's this battle that goes on in these dark moments. And let's be truthful. We don't always win. We don't always, we're not always our best. That's why I'm talking about it. We're not always our best at the darkest moment. But if we are going to try to be, we must choose to be our best. In other words, we got to aim at something. If you don't aim at anything, you've heard it before. You aim at nothing, you hit nothing. And so let's read our text, and I'll get right into this. It's the same text, 1 Kings chapter 18. The Bible says, Meanwhile, Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. He bowed deeply in prayer, <clears throat> having his face between his knees. Then he said to this young man's servant, On your feet now, look towards the sea. He went and he looked and reported back and he said, I don't see a thing. Elijah says, keep looking, he said. Seven times if necessary. And sure enough, the seventh time he said to him, he said, oh yes, I see a cloud, but it's a very small, no bigger than someone's hand rising out of the sea. I, I shared a quote out of <clears throat> McRaven's book, Make Your Bed, but this is another quote. This guy's an admiral. 
And his name is Admiral William McCaven, uh, McRaven. And he was the commander of the forces that killed the terrorist Osama bin Laden. He served as a Navy SEAL for 36 years and he gave a commencement speech at the University of Texas in Austin. And this is just a part of it, some of the things that he said. He called these are 10 lessons for life. He said, number one, he said, if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. That became a book. Number two, if you want to change the world, find someone to help you paddle. Number three, if you want to change the world, measure a person's size of heart, not the size of their flippers. Four, if you want to change the world, get over being a sugar cookie. That sounds like a general. If you want to change the world, don't be afraid of circuses. If you want to change the world, sometimes you have to slide down the obstacle head, uh, obstacle head first. If you want to change the world, don't back down from sharks. If you want to change the world, you must be your very best in the darkest moment. That's where I got the title. Number nine, if you want to change the world, start singing when you're up to your neck in mud. And then the tenth one, it's the tenth lesson. And I'll show you a picture of a bell in a moment. If I have that picture, he said, if you want to change the world, don't ever ring the bell. And so you can look up, if you're on the Google, you can just, you can just look up the bell in training, Navy SEAL bell. Everyone knows what the bell is. And let me explain it to you. In SEAL training, there is a bell. It's a brass bell that hangs at the center of the compound for all the recruits or students to see. It's right there. It's just a brass bell, literally, just a brass bell hanging right there. He said, all you have to do to quit is ring the bell. You can ring the bell and you no longer have to wake up at 5 o'clock. You can ring the bell and you no longer have to be in freezing cold swims. You can ring the bell. You no longer have to do the runs. You don't have to do the obstacle course. You can ring the bell. You, know, you don't have to do PT no more. You can ring the bell. You have no longer have to endure all the hardships of training as a kneel, as a kneel, as a SEAL member. He said, all you have to do is ring the bell. Just get up. And if you ring the bell, you're out. If you want to change the world, he said, don't ever, ever, ever ring the bell. And so only, I think, almost 70% of people that go into SEAL training, 70% of them ring the bell. They say it's the most brutal training uh, you can go through it, you know, as um, an Army guy or Navy guy to become a Navy SEAL. The training is unbelievable. And so you just think about that for a moment. <clears throat> And it's, I'm talking about those moments where it's dark and it's difficult and you know, but you just decide to ring the bell. And, and so people say things like, uh, quit isn't an option. You can't quit. And I know that's partly true. I get that. But the truth is this. Quitting is always an option. It's always an option. We just choose to quit or not quit. But quitting is really always an option. 
And we always act like, well, can, you can never quit. Well, the truth is, there are times we do quit. That's reality. So quitting is an option. And quitting is an option, especially when the moment's dark, especially when the moment's hard, especially when it's difficult. Yeah, the option to quit, it is right there. But like the, the admiral says, if you choose to quit, you're never going to change the world. And then I thought about a few people, just one man in particular, then Jesus said something. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I'll make it modern. Demas, what did he do? He rang the bell. He couldn't handle it no more. He, rang, he chose to ring the bell. Jesus said in Luke 9, he said unto them, No man having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. He said, you can't, you can't be someone that rings that bell. You have to make a decision, and that's a decision that we all make. You know, and I don't know, but it's always an option to quit. So that's, that's my point. Okay, you can quit. We shouldn't quit. But it's in those moments when it's dark that you choose. Something inside of you chooses, okay, I'm going to try to be my, I'm not going to be the one that rings the bell. I'm not going to be the one who quits. Well, it's a lot easier said than done. And I don't know where you're at right now in your own personal life. I have no idea right now where your life is and where God has you. You know, I don't know where you're living right now, and I don't know what's going on in your life. But for some people, God has got your attention. For some of you right now, there, there is the temptation to absolutely quit. There is the temptation to say, you know what, look at my life. It's a dark moment. It can't get any better. What's the use? And that's where you're at. But our story tells us that in places like that, even though what it appears to be isn't always what it is, because God can enter our circumstances. We may not always believe that. God ain't looking for perfect people to believe fully. In an ideal world, absolutely. But I remember a man that came to Jesus. He wanted Jesus to heal his son. And, and, and Jesus talks to him. And, and the man basically, Jesus says, all things are possible to him that believeth. And the man says, Lord, help my unbelief. Here he is. He, said, help my, he says it to the Lord, help my unbelief. And that's really where we should be. We say, what do you mean? Is we take our unbelief to Jesus. He said to Jesus, help my unbelief. So you can find yourself right now listening to me and you can be right there. You can be, you know what, man, I don't know, I don't know. But you can say to God, God, help my unbelief and God will help you. But that's being honest. That's honest heart talk. That's lab, life lab talk. God, help my unbelief. Talk to Christians and they always talk about how strong they are, how much faith they got. But Come on. This man was honest and he was open. He said, Jesus, help my unbelief. And we know what happens. God moves in this man's life. You think about what's going on in our world right now. And I'm not overemphasizing, but I'm just going to just lay down some, a few facts. I'm going to think about this because Jesus says something to all of us. And the Bible says things to you and I, and it doesn't hide the fact that there's going to be difficulty. Jesus never painted a picture that a lot of modern-day preachers paint. 
that we're going to have this life without any difficulty. That brings me to point one, and I think I'm only going to get to point one. But God predicts droughts and difficulty. First Peter chapter 4. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice. In so much you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you will be glad with exceeding joy. Then Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I have told you all these things that you would have peace of heart and mind. Listen to this, what he says. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrow, but cheer up, for I have overcome the world. He lays it out. He, he doesn't sugarcoat it, doesn't say, and here on the earth, no trials, no pain, no difficulty. No, he lays it out, says, no, on, while you're living in this world, that we live in a fallen world, things that happen. He said, you're going to face some trials, you're going to face some sorrows. He says, different versions says, you're going to be squeezed, you're going to be tried, you're going to be pressured. It's going to be very, very difficult. But then he adds, you know what, I have overcome, and he's simply saying to you and I, because Christ lives in us, you and I can make it through those dark moments. Whether you're saved or unsaved, that's not, it doesn't even matter. COVID-19 doesn't just affect saved or unsaved. It affects everyone. COVID-19 doesn't discriminate. Doesn't care who you are or what you are, your rank of life, you have money or no money, you're white or you're black, doesn't matter. COVID-19, you're saved or unsaved. And sometimes Christians, you know, have this idea sometimes, well, I'm a Christian, you know, and, and you know, nothing's going to happen to me. It's not going to happen. Not true at all. So I was reading this last week. I was just kind of curious about a couple things, and and I happened to find this article. It was, actually, it was right there. I didn't have to. Re, I didn't have to look for it. But if I were to ask you, you know, how many pastors died during this COVID time, not in the world, but just here in America, you know, almost three dozen pastors. That they, they think there's more, but at least almost three dozen pastors and bishops have died. But this one particular case <clears throat> caught my attention. And this man was named Bishop Harrell. He's the head of a St. Uh, James Community Church. He's diagnosed with COVID. He died April 17th at the age of 63. But here's what was different about him. He's always been healthy as an ox. He never had any health complications. This happened out of nowhere. It was a shock to the ministry and to his family and to his son who's involved in the ministry. The bishop's son said his father's death left everyone in the family speechless. He had, he had health. He wasn't... He had none of the normal things that people might have and attribute to someone dying from COVID. He had none of those. Always been strong, always been healthy, no health issues. And he said, when my, this happened to my father getting it, then my father dying so quickly, he said, left us all speechless. He was the backbone to our family. Patriarch is now gone. He said... Jonathan Harold, the young son, he said, 21 years old, said he was our burden bearer. He was the earthly vessel that was sent to handle the things that we are too weak to handle. 
But I like this part. After it's all over, he says this. His son says, I was blessed to know this man. He said, I vowed to keep the ministry moving forward for God and for my father. And so you look at that, and we think sometimes wrongly that if we're a Christian, this isn't going to happen. But the truth is there's going to be times of struggles. There's going to be times of hurt. There's going to be times of pain. And you are going to find yourself in situations that would deeply disturb you. And like I said, it won't matter whether you're living for God or not living for God, saved or unsaved. It, won't, it, it has no bearing. COVID has touched the entire world. Now listen to these verses. Most of you know these verses, but listen to a different part of it. In Isaiah 43, God says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor the flames scorch you. Then Isaiah 43, it says, I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Isaiah 43 keeps going down. It says, I'll give you waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Do you notice something? God does not promise us to keep us out of the water. God does not promise to keep us out of the river. God does not promise to keep you and I out of the fires. God does not promise to keep us out of the wilderness. God does not promise to keep us out of the deserts. That's what he said. He don't, you're gonna go, no, you're not going to go around. You go through. But what he does promise you and I, he promises to be there and to give us what we need to make it through those moments. That's real life. You know, I'm, I'm going to refresh you in the desert, but you're going to be in the desert. I'll make a way in the wilderness, but you will be in the wilderness. But I'll make a way. That's what God can do, and that's what God does do for you and I. We don't ex- we're not exempt from trials and heartache and pain, but what Jesus plainly lays out, the scripture lays out, is, listen, but the, I'll give you what you need to make it. And that's God. We can, like I said on Thursday, if there's anybody you and I can trust, it's God. So let's look at our story here. In our story, God allowed everyone to be affected by this drought. The drought has taken three and a half years. Everyone is affected by the drought, including the man of God, Elijah. Doesn't matter. Everyone is affected. The drought or the situation in your life not only will affect you, it affects your family, it affects your friends, and it will affect your coworkers. When we go through something, just like the story, even though everyone experienced the same thing at that moment, the truth about when you and I pass through things, everybody, our our trial isn't just stay with us. It it will affect other people is my point. And then we see a man by the name of Elijah, and he's going to go, and he's going to go to the mountain to pray. And I, this is pretty, really pretty encouraging, more than encouraging, because When he goes to the mountain to pray, the Bible doesn't say that anyone else goes to pray with him. So here he is in a dark moment in the nation of his own life. And here something inside of him says, I'm going to go to the mountain to pray. But it doesn't say there's multitudes that went with him. It doesn't say anybody even encouraged him to pray. 
And so he is that person in that dark moment that says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to be my best, to do my best in this dark moment, regardless of what other people do or don't do. You know, it's a lot easier in life when you have a bunch of, when you have a bunch of cheerleaders. You go pray, Elijah. You go pray. You go, go, go. You know, I can imagine. You, you think about it. We all can get up for that. But to get up for something where it doesn't record that there's anyone even going with him at all. In fact, it reads like he's by himself. And that's what it exactly reads like. He's all by himself. But he has one servant there. And the Bible says he goes to pray. Is it possible that one man, one woman, one teenager, one mom, one dad can change a world, change a life, change a family, change a marriage? One pastor, one convert, change a church? Absolutely. And I call that really the power of one. You know, it's like, you know, I think we... I think because people growing up, you know, watching all these probably movies and you think about God doing something or something happening, I think we always think that if something's going to happen, it's going to take an army. If God's going to move as a Christian, it's going to take a lot, a lot of people praying. It's going to take a lot of people involved. And yes, they should be in prayer and yes, they should be involved. But the truth is, it doesn't take a lot, a lot, a lot of people to have God move in someone's life. It doesn't take a lot of people. This is a story of one man doing one thing and praying. It's not a multitude. It's about one man going to prayer meeting by himself and just kneeling down and crying out to God. It's one man that's going to make a difference. That ought to encourage you. That ought to encourage every father, every mother. A mother's prayer, a father's prayer, a teenager's prayer can make a difference. Think about the men God used in the Bible. They're just one person. Moses. We know what Moses does. He leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. But it, the point I'm making, it was one man. You know, David, one man, stands in front of Goliath. And actually, he was a teenager. One teenager made a difference for the entire nation. You read another man named Joshua. And we go on and on. Joshua would lead the nation after Moses. Still, it's one man that God would use. One man. One person, one soul, one voice can make a difference. And we always think if God's going to make a difference, it has to be a multitude, it has to be a big, strong group of people. Well, the truth is one. One man with God is a majority. One man. Augustine, St. Augustine, writes about, about, the, about ancient Rome as Christians were fed to the wild beast at the Colosseum. Let me read it here to you. They, the spectators saw the broken bones, and they watched the blood flow in these Colosseums, and they would hear these heart-rending screams from the martyrs. But then they came to see the unseen. That's to say, the faith of the Christians as they died in death in that arena. There was no sight of the games quite like this. A man being mauled while his soul remained unscratched. Jesus said, <clears throat> it comes down, he said, do not be afraid of those who can kill your body. 
So this is going on, and I shared this once before, but you know, I, 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 I can't imagine that, but people would actually want to go. That was their form of, that was their entertainment to go. At one, it got worse and worse, and it came to the point where that's what they were doing. Lions, and literally lions, and just literally give them to Christians and, and would die. And brutal, to say the least. The violence of it all. How could a human being get used to that kind of violence and called entertainment? But they did. But one man, by the name of Timotheus, this one man that changed history, they say that he went down to the gladiator fights. He went to the, the Colosseum. He was able to get into the Colosseum. And right in the midst of all the bloodshed, he called for, for all the, the killing to stop. He stood up and he basically said, this needs to stop. And he just gave his voice out. He, shared, you know, he just shared from his heart, this is wrong, this is bad, this has got to stop. And what do you think the crowd did to that guy? Well, they stoned him. They couldn't, they couldn't stand that voice saying how bad it was. And they couldn't stand what he was saying. They, he, they couldn't stand the conviction of it all. And so here he is. He preaches to them very briefly. But he outraged the mob that was there and they kill him. They stoned him to death. But three days later. Three days. It's kind of interesting. Three days later Jesus rose from the grave. But three days later the emperor of Rome was so convicted, troubled by the voice of that man that he stood up and said, no more gladiator games. They will, they will no longer exist. And he stopped. One voice, one man changed the entire nation. Cost him his life. But it's the power of one voice, one person. Let me move on here. So here it is in our story. <clears throat> Three and a half years, no, no water, it's, it's a drought. We're not talking two months of COVID. We're talking three and a half years. And I, as I read through these different commentaries, they, they, they talk about the devastation of it all. It would be beyond anything most of us would ever even experience or even understand. Because for most people there, they would have their life, and their life would be brought basically to nothing right before their eyes. Many of them would lose loved ones. And many of them lost literally everything. They'd go to a funeral after a funeral after a funeral. For during this time. But Elijah, he, he knows something. He knows that the only hope for this situation was... <clears throat> If I just go to God, he, he knew that the only way this can change is I've got to talk to God. I've got to go to God. He didn't know how it was all going to change. God had prompted him. It's going to rain. He believed that. So he goes to prayer. But you think about it. And so you think about your own life just for a moment. You know, Elijah knew the only hope for survival was God. Let me say this to you wherever you're at. The only hope to get out of what you're in is God. 
you're going to have the same circumstance. But I'm going to tell you, God can enter your circumstance if you will give him an opportunity to come into your life and to help you. God can enter your life no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through. Elijah had been waiting for this moment. And I'm sure Elijah, as a prophet, he got tired of watching people die and weep and mourn. It's terrible that during this time, a lot of people have lost loved ones and they couldn't even mourn with their loved ones. I mean, you talk about desperation and heartache and brokenness. There he is, Elijah himself. It's, I'm, I'm tired of seeing all this pain, man. Something's got to change. No doubt that's what he's going through, but here's my point. You know, he, he watched people's hearts break and break and it get worse and nothing changed. But there comes this point in his life, in his life, and has, I believe it has to be with you and I. There has to come a point in our life that we say something, there's something in us that says, you know, I, I want things to change, but I want things to change bad enough that I want to cry out to God now. I want it to change. I'm not just complaining about my circumstance. I want this to change bad enough that I'm be moved to cry out to my God. Some people say, why would you say that? Because sometimes people find themselves in a place where they want it to change, but they are not willing to ask God to help them. They're not willing to humble themselves and to cry out to God. But trust me, when it gets bad enough and most difficult enough and you really want it to change, you will ask God to help you. That something has got to be within you that says, you know what, I'm not accepting this. I don't know what's going on, but God, I cry out to you. I need you to help me. Listen to what E.M. Bond said about prayer. He said, prayers are deathless. The lips that utter them may be closed in death. The heart that felt them may have ceased to beat. But the prayers live before God. And God's heart is set on them, and prayer outlives the life of those who uttered them, will outlive a generation, will outlive an age, and will outlive this world. Prayers are deathless. Think about it. Hmm. What's happening today? This is just this last week's. Listen to this. Suicides in Northern California community are outpacing deaths related to COVID. You hear what I just said? Suicides in Northern California community are outpacing the deaths that related to COVID. And what are people dying from? Being sheltered in place. They're losing their mind. Why? We're social creatures. Listen to this. And this is what caught my attention. Most of these suicides have been very young people that are dealing with unprecedented levels of, of stress related to job loss, loneliness, in the midst of months of quarantine measures. Social isolation has a deep price. A trauma nurse at the hospital said, these people in these circumstances, he's talking about suicidal people, they intend to die, and sometimes they will often make a cry for help. She said, we're seeing something different right now, and it's very, very upsetting. 
Research has found that the pandemic has affected the mental health of many, especially teenagers and children. Young people who are diagnosed with ADHD for the first time rose by 66% during March and April. While 41% of patient visits from children and teenagers involved in discussion of depression, according to this health company here. Walnut Creek Hospital has seen a sharp uptick in the suicides with this shelter-in-place order to combat the COVID. The hospital did not reveal how many people had taken their own lives, but the doctor simply said, doctor's news was the, uh, the numbers is unprecedented. We have never seen numbers like this before in a short period of time. I mean, he said, this is the doctor. I mean, we have seen a year's worth of suicide attempts just in a few weeks. God made us as social creatures. We're not made just to be, we all, you know, people think, oh, give me, leave, me, leave me alone, man, just leave me alone. We leave you alone, you go crazy. Like the teenager that never leaves his room, just plays games all day, little crazy. It's sad. But we're made to have social, God made you and I as social creatures. We need other people and we need God who made us. So let me move on quickly. And I don't want you to overlook this fact. There's a fact here. And the fact is that God put a time limit on this drought. I've said this before. What's the most difficult thing you're going through? It's the most difficult thing you're going through at that moment. Because no matter what we're facing right now, it's always the most difficult right that moment. Because what we're in right now in your own life is usually the most difficult. And so you think, is this ever going to end? Is anything, can anything possibly change? Absolutely. It looked like in our story that nothing was ever going to change. And it looks like a thought might be that the reason why Elijah goes to pray by himself, because maybe, maybe, even though he had already called the fire down from heaven, even though he already talked about the Baal, he already destroyed the prophets of Baal and did all of that, even with all of that going on, and during this particular time, there's such a brokenness in the people that maybe they lost heart to pray, and that's why no one went to pray with them. Even though they cried out to God, the Lord, he is God, he is God. You may cry out to God, but still you're so broken you're not crying out to God. And no one goes with them. You know, I, I, would, I would bet, and I, I know this to be true, that there are a lot of times we simply lose heart. And we stop praying. We stop asking God to help us. But we're Christians. Yeah, I know. I know. I know we're Christians. You're supposed to pray. You're supposed to know God. You're supposed to talk to you. I know, I know, I know all of that, but um, I've lost heart, man. We always assume people, everyone's praying. They're all doing right. They're, but a lot of times we lose heart. And maybe that's why they didn't go up with Elijah, because they had lost heart. So, you know, I don't know. We've been praying for three and a half years. Elijah, nothing's happened. Because nothing's going to happen, Elijah. You know, there's a scripture It says in Psalms, because, but it says in Psalms, I think it happens in people's lives. They quit praying. They get depressed. They look at their life, maybe look at decisions they've made. 
and they become just basically overwhelmed. And they honestly think that this, nothing can change. They say a lot of times when people take their life in suicide, not always, but most of the time, it's, there's a basis of it. And the base is that they look and they think and they believe so strongly that nothing can change, they decide why live. But with God, everything can change. Why not live? This is what the psalmist says. Psalms 55 verse 2, it says, please listen and answer me. Elliot, <clears throat> please listen and answer me, and I am, for I am overwhelmed by my troubles. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Twice the word is used, overwhelmed. And I don't know if you remember when I used that word weeks and weeks and weeks ago, what overwhelmed means. One pastor described it, and I researched the word, but it has the idea of just being tossed completely. And we would maybe liken it to being in the sea. Have you ever gone to the ocean? Here in Southern California, you can go to the ocean. I'm afraid of the water. It's, I mean, that kind of water. The ocean scares me. Waves scare me. Even like that, they scare me. But I've been in some waves. Not very high, but they grab you. You think you're going to be okay? They hit you, and next thing you know, your face is in the sand. It grabs you, and you start tumbling. It's basically almost the same word. You've been grabbed by life, and you find yourself just flipping over. No control. That's exactly how you feel. You feel overwhelmed. I've just been tossed. And that's what the word means. It means to be tossed. You have no control. And the psalmist is saying, the psalmist is crying out, saying, God, when I'm overwhelmed, lead me. The psalm says in 55, I'm overwhelmed by my troubles. They've done this to me. I'm lost. And probably one of my favorite verses, Psalm 61, verse 2. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When you cry out to God, I don't know what you think about God. But he loves you more than you could ever imagine. When you cry out to God, he doesn't, God doesn't look at you and go, well, now you cry out. About time. That's, God's nature is nothing like our nature. You have sinned. You've done wrong. Your life's a mess. And maybe as, even, as a Christian, you stop praying, stop maybe even doing right. Well, I've really messed up now, Pastor. It depends. It depends. If you choose to live your life without God, then yes, it, you, it's a tragic mistake. But I declare to you that if you cry out to God, like the psalmist says, in this moment of being maybe overwhelmed, God will meet with you. God can change you. And when he changes you, your circumstances will begin to change through you, because of you. 
I just want you to bow your heads this morning. I want every head bowed, please. If you're listening to me, just hear me out for a quick moment. That is you. Your heart is overwhelmed. So here's my question. Yes, it's a very dark moment in your life. You made terrible choices. You, maybe you don't know the Lord at all. You just you do what you do. And now you regret what you've done. And maybe you're in this category of these young people that are young teenagers and young children feeling so stressed out by all that's going on. Here's my challenge to you. Will you will you allow Jesus Christ to help you? Because he can, God can step in and help you. This is not the end. It's a beginning. Elijah's going to pray. I'll talk about it more next week. Elijah's going to pray. One prayer, one man, one moment. And everything would change. In one moment, one time, when in your own life, things can change. Just as the moment you cry out to God, I don't understand it. I don't claim to. The moment you cry out to God, God does something in, our human, in the human heart that we can't explain. And all of a sudden, life becomes able to bear. You're able to live. So I'm going to challenge you to give your life to Christ. I'm going to challenge you to ask Christ to come into your life. So, and you say this prayer with me. If this is you and you want to give your life to Christ, you say, you know what, my heart is overwhelmed, Carrie. Say this prayer. You, say, you just say, Jesus. You can say, just say it from your heart. You say it wherever you're at. God's not so concerned about the exact words. He's concerned about your heart crying out to him. And you say, Jesus, here's my life. Forgive me. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for what I've done. I want to change. I want a different life. And if you don't have any hope, say that to God. Say whatever is on your heart. Say, God, I don't have any hope. I don't see a better future. Say that to God. God, I, I give you everything. I give you my life. Jesus, come into my life. Take control of my life. I give it to you. I believe you died for me and you rose again. So I surrender everything to you, Jesus. I thank you for becoming my Savior. I want to serve you. Help me serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, it's Elliot back again, the producer of the Intelligent Living Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us. If you found this episode to be useful, would you leave a comment and let us know how it empowered you to live your life more abundantly? Also, don't forget to rate the podcast and share it with the people that you know, love, and trust the most. We can't wait to hear from you, and we will see you next time.